If you've got a Bible, open to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 8 to 12. We were in that text last week. We're still in it this week. Uh, there's much more to be mined from it, and so we're going to keep pressing into it. Um, so if you have a Bible, open there, and let's get to work. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. The Apostle Peter, we said last week, has shifted his attention necessarily from external relationships that we have to the, the, the surrounding culture, to the governing authorities that exist in, above us, or to master and servant types of relationships. And he moves to talk about submission and authority within the home. And then he begins to shift a little bit here in chapter 3 to begin to address what the, the, the kind of, a, of people, the kind of church we said last week that would sing when the wind blows as opposed to snap, right? Because one of those two things is going to happen. We'll either snap and we'll give up doctrine when the wind blows against us or we'll snap and we'll give up mission when the wind blows against us. But then there are some churches and there are some Christians, there are peoples who would sing when the wind blows. And those who would sing when the wind blows would not be those who just obey commands occasionally and have a very nostalgic faith, but they have a current one because their character is being shaped by the person and power of the Holy Spirit to be the kinds of people that God calls us to be. And so we keep pushing into that this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, where Peter writes these words. Listen, if you don't have a copy of it with you, to be on the screen. He says, finally, all of you, all of you, whether you're a master or a servant, whether you're in authority or under authority, whether you're a husband or a wife, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Last week, we saw that Paul, what Peter is writing with, he's not writing again with occasional commands and verbs. He's writing with adjectives. You know what adjectives are? They describe the nature of something or someone, sort of a, a descriptive term. And Peter, in verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, I think what he's doing when he comes down to chapter 3, verse 10 to 12, and he cites Psalm 34, what he's saying is this. As he goes back to Psalm 34, he grabs that psalm and sucks it forward into the New Testament to say that if you want to love life and see good days, a part of what it means to keep your lips from speaking deceit, a part of what it means to reject evil and do good, a part of what it means in that psalm as he's applying it to his context to seek peace and pursue it, so that the God's eyes, the eyes of the Lord would be upon you and his ears would be open to your prayer and that his face would not be against you, then this is the kind of life, this is the kind of life that Peter envisions fulfilling what the psalmist wrote about hundreds of years before Peter penned these words. This is what he says it looks like for us as we live as citizens of a heavenly culture in this earthly kingdom. And he gives us these adjectives. And so we're going to dive right into what he says to us. And we're going to start in verse 9 and work backwards into verse 8. Because I think there's an ever-increasing degree of challenge and difficulty with the things that he calls us to do and calls us to be. 
And I want, to see the, I, want to see us, I want us to see the most challenging first and then work back to see the foundation that he lays under that. Okay? So in verse 9, this is what he says. If you're going to be a church that sings in the midst of a hostile culture, if there's going to be a culture shaped here that's distinct from the culture that you find in the world, this is what he says. He says, the church has got to become a people who return blessings for beatings. <laughs> they return blessings for beatings. The word when he says in verse 9, to bless those who revile you and those who do evil against you. That word there is a present active participle. Now, those of you who are like grammar lovers, you're like all geeked out right now. You're like, yes. Those of you who aren't grammar lovers, you're like, oh man, this is the most boring thing I've ever heard. But this is what it, this is what it means, right? A participle is a verbal adjective. So it's a descriptive term describing the character of something and the way someone acts consistently. And it's in the present tense. And so it's not referring to something you do one time, it's something you do continuously. Continuously, you return blessings for beatings. That's the way that you act because it's a part of your character. That's how it comes out. And listen, let me push on this a little bit because this is a step beyond. It's a step beyond just not retaliating. It's a step beyond not seeking revenge, right? Some of us, we think, okay, I'm not gonna seek revenge or exact revenge against someone who has wounded me, someone who has sinned against me, someone who has persecuted me, someone who's called me names, someone who's ignored me. I'm not gonna seek revenge against them and I'm not even gonna retaliate against them. And so we find ourselves kind of in a neutral position, but this is a step beyond that because Peter goes beyond that. He says, listen, don't, don't just not seek revenge. Don't just not seek to retaliate, but actually return blessing upon people who would revile you. Whenever they do evil against you, you do good towards them. You seek to bless those who would curse you. So when someone persecutes you, reviles you, rejects you, commits evil against you, right? There's only several possible responses you can have in that particular scenario, right? You can do basically one of three things. You can either go after them and hate them, right? This is like lovers of conflict. Some of you like get all amped up by conflict. You just like to get mixed up with people, right? And you just kind of become the source and you just go after them, right? And so they do something against you, man, you push hard against them. You go after them, but you go after them to hate them, to hate them. For those of us who love conflict, we love to put people on blast. We love to mix it up. We love to kind of get fisticuffs with people and just engage, right? Because we're right. So that's one response. The second response you can do is you can go after, you can avoid them and hate them, <laughs> right? This is for you haters of conflict, right? It kind of gives you a little bit of that hot burp in your mouth whenever you think about actually having to go and address something with someone because you despise conflict, you're, you're, you're terrified of it. And so you avoid that person and you hate them. You can either go after them and hate them if you're a lover of conflict. You can avoid them and hate them if you're a hater of conflict. Or you can go after them and bless them if you're a lover of people. You can go after them and bless them if you're a lover of people. You see, it doesn't necessarily, to return blessing for reviling, to return good for evil, doesn't necessarily mean that you don't address the wrong that's been committed. It doesn't necessarily mean that you don't kind of redress that and, and speak for justice and hold out for truth. But what it means is rather that you uphold justice, but you let God be the judge. 
You don't seek to retaliate. You don't move towards them in hatred and you don't withdraw from them in hatred, but you engage them and move towards them to bless them. And sometimes blessing them means speaking the truth to them in a humble, loving, and gracious way. And you're not responsible for how they respond, but you're responsible to engage in the calling that God's placed upon your life to be the kind of person who returns blessing for reviling and good for evil. So you move towards them and bless them. Now listen, this can respond, this, I mean, this can express itself in a variety of ways in our lives. In a variety of ways. Listen, it means that whenever you might stick your neck out for someone, some of you have been there, right? You stuck your neck out for somebody, and three months later, they've kind of given you a throat punch, right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there, right? You stick your neck out, put it on the line for someone, three months later, they punch you in the throat, six months later, they try and chop it off, <laughs> right? What do you do? Whenever you put yourself out there for someone and they just respond by chopping you to the throat, putting you, like choking you out, putting you in a submission hold until you tap, what do you do? How are you going to respond? Do you move toward them to bless them or do you move away from them and hate them or do you move towards them and return with retaliation? What about, it might look like when you're ignored by others, some of you have found yourself in that position, right? They just ignore you. So you try and engage relationally. You try and pursue them, and they, respond. they don't respond. They don't respond. They don't respond. They don't respond. You send text after text after text or email after email after email. You blow their phone up with all kinds of voice messages, and they don't respond. They're just ignoring you. What do you do? Do you give them your attention whenever they need it? Do you respond with blessing? It could look like that when someone slaps you on the cheek, you turn the other one to them as well. It means that when someone requires you to go one mile, you offer to go two. It means that when someone takes your cloak, you give them your tunic as well. It might mean when someone is selfish, you lovingly expose their selfishness by engaging in conversation and relationship with them. But you continue to act in selfless ways towards them to bless them. It might mean when someone's unwilling to sacrifice that you step in and are willing to sacrifice for them even whenever they were unwilling to sacrifice for you and you bless them by doing so. You might address their, their unwillingness to step into sacrifice but you sacrifice on their behalf. It might mean when someone, um, it, 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 it might mean that when someone acts like a child, you act like an adult <laughs> instead of returning Childish behavior for their childish behavior. My wife knows a lot about that. You can speak to her afterwards. She can share with you how she's done that well over the years. It means when someone speaks ill of you, you lovingly expose the bitterness in their hearts, but you speak well of them. Some of us have been spoken against. And listen, this doesn't just happen because winds in the culture are blowing against the church. It happens many times internally as well within God's people. Whenever people speak ill of you, do you speak well of them or do you run their name into the mud like they have yours? Do you return blessing for reviling, good for evil? And listen, it might mean when somebody hurts your feelings by a comment in passing that you look for ways, you might address it with them, but you look for ways to build them up and edify them. Now, I don't know about you, but in each of these instances that I just rattled off, by nature, I don't want to do these things. <laughs> by nature, I don't want to give attention to people who ignore me. 
By nature, I don't want to be selfless toward people who are selfish. By nature, I don't want to sacrifice for those who are unwilling to sacrifice. By nature, I don't want to keep, I don't want to stick my neck out again for somebody who punched me in the throat. By nature, I don't want to speak well of those who speak ill of me. I don't want to do it. So why in the world would we do it? Why in the world would you look at someone who has reviled you or done evil against you and return good and blessing? And this is what Peter says in verse 9. He says, for to this you were called. Peter says, it's God's call on your life. So he doesn't say that, hey, if you want to sign me up to be on the Jesus team, that then you get to kind of pick and choose which of these commands you want to obey or whether or not you're going to respond with good for evil and blessing for reviling. He says, if, you, if God has saved you and brought you from death to life, then it's this call on your life to follow Jesus by returning blessings for beatings. Some of us have had received blistering tongue lashings from people in our lives. Are you going to return blessings for beatings? Peter says you were called to it, but notice why he says you were called to it, that you may obtain a blessing. Other other translations say you may inherit a blessing. You may inherit a blessing. Listen, listen. Peter says, he, he conditions, look at what he says in verse nine, he conditions the obtaining or inheriting of the blessing from God upon our obedience to the call that we've received to return blessing for reviling. If you want to receive blessing from God, then you return blessing to those who curse you. You return good to those who do evil against you. It makes the condition for receiving the blessing. Now, some of us in here this morning were like, man, our radars just went up. And you got like a bloodhound nose that sniffs out any hint of legalism. Right? You're like, beep, 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 beep. And it makes you want to run to the hills because some of you were raised in very moralistic or legalistic environments. So anytime someone speaks about a condition for something to take place, it's like these flags and alarms start going off in your head. But listen, I want you to understand something. What Peter is talking about here is not the kind of moralistic and legalistic obtaining of a blessing that you might have been raised in where everything was about externals and behaviors and conformity of your of a modification of your behavior. What Peter is talking about here is something distinct from that. Something distinct from that. He's not talking about legalism. He doesn't say that if you return blessing for reviling and good for evil, then what God will do is he's got this book up in heaven, a ledger, where he's marking off ticks up there and going, man, she spoke so well of that girl whenever she just, man, blew her up. Check. He continued to stick his neck out for that guy at work that punched him in the throat. Check. And God, like God's keeping a ledger up there and he's ticking off all these times whenever we return good for evil or blessing for reviling. That's not what Peter's talking about here. Because if that's what Peter was talking about, then he would say, for you were called to this that you may earn a blessing. That you may earn a blessing, that you may deserve a blessing. Rather, what Peter says is that you obtain one, and a better translation is you may inherit one. Now, does anyone, you don't inherit anything on the basis of what you do, but on the basis of who you are. Your inheritance comes to you because of who you are. Do you see that? Do you understand that? 
So what gets passed down to you from generation to generation, from your grandfather to your father to you, is not because of how well you perform, but because of who you belong to, the family that you're a part of. And Peter says you should obey this calling to return blessing for reviling and good for evil. And you were called to this so that you may inherit this blessing. So if it's not a tick marks of a ledger that God is keeping record of, of how well we perform to know whether or not we deserve his blessing in the end, then what is it? What is Peter talking about? I want you to go back all the way into chapter one with me where Peter speaks in chapter one about us having God, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to what? To what, church? To a living hope. To a living hope. To to receive this inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, that God is keeping in heaven for us and he's keeping us for here on earth. So we got a hope of an inheritance that's coming. And because we have this hope that's the result of our new birth, we've got this hope of what's coming in the future. So we're looking to God for what's coming down the pipe one day. We keep looking toward the future to what God's going to do, how God's going to right all the wrongs, how God's going to redress all the issues, how God is going to renew all things. We keep looking forward to that because that's the hope that is living within us. And because that hope is living within those who have been born of God, then their lives progressively begin to reflect what they're hoping for and what they're hoping in. So they're looking forward to the future one day and their lives in the present begin to reflect what they're looking for God to do one day. So their lives in the present become a trailer for what's coming in the future. Took our kids to see a movie earlier this week. We went over uh, to Frisco and had a little bit of time as a family, just hanging out, um, trying to get um, somewhere indoors, outside the rain, um, with everything that, you know, uh, the, the, the gully washer that we had this week. Um, that's a little country sounding, isn't it? Um, but we, we went over to Frisco, um, did a little shopping, caught a movie over there. But before the movie, the main attraction, the feature film that we had come to see, actually began to roll. He had all these trailers and previews of all these other kids' movies that were going to be released at some point in the future. And so you're sitting there, and my kids are like laughing at all the previews and trailers are like, I want to see that one, or I want to see that one. All right, and they're just getting all excited about these movies that are coming out later this summer or later this fall. And so the previews or the trailers, they get us excited about what's coming in the future, but they are not the main feature. They're not the main attraction, are they? So when the trailers are done and they roll up the slide that says, turn off your cell phone, then the main feature comes on. The main attraction begins. That's why you've come. And listen, listen. Peter is saying that if you've been born again and you have this hope that's living within you, then your life progressively becomes a trailer or a preview for the main attraction that's coming one day. It's going to be released. We just don't know the date. It's going to be released. And our lives now begin to look like what we're hoping for in the future. So it's not a ledger that God is ticking off. He did really well there. She didn't do so well there. So all these good, good, good things and bad things are going to kind of balance each other out at the end of the age. No. It's that our lives now are progressively being shaped by what's coming in the future. That's what Peter has in mind here. 
That's why he says, you returning blessing for reviling is a condition of receiving this inheritance that God has for you of blessing. Because if you've been born again and you have that hope, then what you're looking for in the future becomes progressively more a part of who you are in the present. See, if you want to take every condition and just go legalism, 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 you're going to be done with large sections of the Bible. Peter says return blessing for reviling. But if, you're going to, if we're going to do that, there's going to be, have to be a certain character that gets cultivated in our lives. And real quickly, let's touch on a couple of things that Peter says are necessary foundations to return blessing for reviling. If you go back up into verse 8, those five adjectives there. On the bookends we saw last week, we've got to begin to think the same about the things that matter most. As you move closer into the middle of those things, this is what Peter says. As you come into that next set uh, from the bookends, two and four, he says that we should be tender-hearted and sympathetic. In other words, we have to genuinely care about people. We have to genuinely care for others. When you get closer to the center, Peter leverages these two words, tender-hearted, originally referred to the inner parts or the bowels of an individual. And Peter uses it here. By the time he used it, it had come to refer to being compassionate and sensitive to the point of action. So you might say that a person who is tender-hearted and sympathetic, they're a person who have movements in their bowels, not those kinds of movements that you're thinking of, but there is something that takes place internally deep within them whenever they see someone that they genuinely care for. So it's, it's beyond the surface. That's what Peter's getting at here, is that this kind of tenderheartedness and this sympathy, that's this, this deep-seated, rooted compassion that's deep within the belly, it's beyond caring, pretending to care about people on the surface. Listen, you can pretend to care about people on the surface all day long, but whenever they revile you, or whenever they commit evil against you, the only way you will respond with blessing for reviving and good for evil is if your care and concern, there's a tenderheartedness and sympathy, a compassion that goes beyond skin deep and beyond the surface. That's, the, that, that, that's a part of the foundation of living this way, Peter says. That if you're going to return blessing for reviling, it's got to be something more than a surface level concern for other people. But you've got to feel something in your gut for them that you do not feel by nature. Second of all, listen to what Peter says. He says not only do you have to genuinely care for people, but also there has to be a, a, a familial love. You've got to love them as family. You gotta love people in the church, he says, as family. This internal dynamic he's talking about, you gotta love as family. It's gotta be a genuine concern for your brother and sister. That's why I baptized Jerry and Rayanne as brother and sister in Christ. They're part of this family that God has adopted us into called the church in this age. So you gotta love those people as family. At the center of these adjectives, is this brotherly love, he says. And notice the proximity of the familial relationship. He doesn't say grandfatherly love, does he? He doesn't say uncle love or second cousin love. I probably shouldn't go there. Um, but brotherly love. 
brotherly love. There's a proximity of that relationship, a sibling relationship. And Peter says uh, the, 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 the churches and the individuals who are going to sing as the wind blows against them are those who are bound together in this, this, this deep affection for each other as family and as committed to each other as they would be to their own blood. Now listen, let's kind of apply this to returning blessing for reviling. I don't, I don't, I don't think, maybe you're the exception, the anomaly, the outlier, but I don't think any of us in this room this morning is a part of a family that has never had tension. <laughs> Some of you are like, that's my family because we're perfect. But most of you are like, yes. Right? There's, most of us have, understand what it's like to have tension in the fam- familial dynamic, Right? Whenever somebody says something about aunt so-and-so or somebody doesn't show up to Thanksgiving or somebody doesn't send a present to their kids whenever you send a present to, their, like to your kids when you send a present to theirs, right? it creates all this family dynamic and all this tension. There are times in which even spouses, husbands and wives can say very hurtful things to each other. Again, you can ask my wife about that, unfortunately. There are times when spouses can say very hurtful things to each other. There are times where children, some of you parents know this experience, they can rip your heart out of your chest by the words that they speak to you. And parents, some of you can crush your kids with your words and the way that you engage them. Within that family dynamic, siblings can take each other for granted. Spouses can take each other for granted. They can use each other to get ahead, right? They can blame each other for things that they themselves have done. Man, I see this all the time in my house. I don't know about you. My kids are always trying to shift blame to somebody else. There's all these things that can create tension within a family. And all these things can happen and all these things do happen. But when they do, you're still family. You're still family. And you know what? Peter says, if you're going to return blessing for reviling, when someone even within the church sins against you, if you're going to bless them, you've got to understand, you've got to understand that your concern for them has to go beyond the surface and you have to understand that you are bound together as a part of a family that you can't get, a, get, get apart, apart from. So even when, even when things go south a little bit and there's tension in the family dynamic, you work through that, you resolve that, you, 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 you come out on the other end of that because you're still family. Now some of you are sitting here this morning, you're thinking, yeah, but you don't know. <laughs> right? You don't know. You don't know what they said You don't know what they did. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know how I've been hurt in the past. You don't know how I've opened up and given my heart to people who are supposed to be a part of this family of God thing that you're talking about and how they've responded to me, how they've treated me, how they've treated my family. You don't know. And listen, maybe I don't know the specifics. For many of you, I don't. But I do know the experience. I do know the experience. Right? And let me just open up a little bit for you this morning. Uh, for, for eight years, I did singles ministry. I was single adults, invested in their lives, taught them, discipled them, tried to raise up leaders, 
gave, gave a, a significant portion, almost a decade of my life, to single adults in a local church. And over the course of that time, um, what, I, what I saw is that, particularly working with younger singles, um, you had those single adults who came up and, and, and they were kind of in their mid-30s now, and they're still not married, and they long to be married, and they desire to be married, right? And they, and they, they go out on date after date, right? They sign up for online dating. They meet people at church. They try all these different venues to, to find someone, but inevitably, in each of those relationships, one of the reasons they're still singles is because it comes to that point in that conversation, that relationship where they say, look, you're a great person. It's not you. It's me. Right? It's not you. It's me. And listen, for eight years, I, I really I had a hard, I, I didn't understand that emotionally. I really didn't. For eight years, I, didn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around that emotionally. I understood it intellectually, but Karen and I were married at, at, in our early 20s. So I didn't have, as emerging adults, I didn't have that experience of dating for 15 years as an adult and hearing that over and over and over and over and over again. But the last 20 months have taught me a little bit about that and being here because I've heard it on multiple occasions. Hey, listen, we love you. It's not you, it's us. It's not you, it's us. It's not you, it's us. We love the preaching, we love the teaching, we love the fellowship, but it, it, it's, just, it's, just, it's just us, right? We need something else that this, this place doesn't have to offer. And listen, I could tell you as a pastor who gives his heart away to people and pursues people and chases, tries to chase people down and shepherd people whenever they wander, and they don't respond, and they ignore. And listen, I'm not talking about anybody in particular. Some of you are going, oh man, you're shifting your seat a little bit. I'm just talking about the general reality of what it is to pastor and shepherd people. You give your heart away to them, and then they walk away, and it's painful. It's painful. And you know what? By nature, my reflex is to go, forget that. I'm not gonna give my heart away to people anymore. I'm tired of hearing it's not you, it's me. And to withdraw and to kind of wrap myself tightly up in this little cocoon and not give my heart away, not pursue anybody because there's a chance they're going to ignore me. Not give my heart to somebody because there's a chance they're going to leave. But listen, listen, one of the things we need to understand is that to love at all a part of the human experience of loving another person and giving your heart to another person. Not just romantically, but even platonically in the context of a friendship and relationship. A part of what it is to give your heart away to people is to be vulnerable and open yourself up to being hurt and to pain. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. In other words, you can't even love your cat. I don't know why you would love a cat, but you can't love your cat. <laughs> Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love 
is to be vulnerable. See, basically you have two choices. When, when you say, but you don't, you don't know. Maybe I don't know the specifics, but I do know the experience, and I have two choices as well. We can either love and expose ourselves to being broken, or we can withhold love and become unbreakable. Hard. Dead. And if you're going to return blessing for reviling, good for evil, and, and submit to this calling God's placed on your life as one who's passed over from death to life, you have a genuine concern for people that, that, that transcends and, and goes beneath the surface, down into the gut. And you've got to love people like family and be committed to them and open yourself up to being hurt again and again and again. There may be safeguards and boundaries that you put up with one particular person who might just keep crushing on it over and over and over and over again. But that experience should, by God's grace, listen, it should not cause you to withdraw and lock it in a coffin, but to continue to give it away and love people well as family. And I'll close with this. I'm going to close with this. Where does this kind of character come from? Where does it come from? How, does it, how in the world can you keep giving your heart away to people even whenever people have crushed it? How can you, can you move beyond just a surface level concern for people to a deep compassion so that you can return blessing for reviling? The only way that you can do that, and we go back again to chapter one, is that you must be born again. You must be born again. God has to open your eyes to see that there was one who had compassion on you. Jesus himself, right, as he walks and he sees the crowds, he says, the text tells us in the Gospels that he, was, that he, was, he had compassion on them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. And there was a time in which you were wandering and lost and aimless and purposeless and directionless and he had compassion on you. You gotta see as well that even whenever you were an orphan, he adopted you into his family and loved you as a son and a daughter. And you have to see. God's gotta open your eyes to see this. And church, listen, there are some of you in here this morning or some of you within earshot of my voice as you listen to the podcast, there are some of you that I am jealous to see God open your eyes to see that there was one who was beaten so that you would be blessed. See, if you're going to return blessings for beatings, you've got to see there was one who was beaten so that you would be blessed. You've got to see there was one who was cast out so that you would be brought in. You've got to see that there was one who, whenever he reviled, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 23-25, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, when Jesus was reviled, he refused to revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Even though he was the cornerstone in chapter two, he was rejected. Even though he was the truth, he was blasphemed. Even though he is the son of God, he suffered. But notice why Peter says he suffered. He bore our sins upon the cross, on that tree. 
He was hung on a tree. And listen, any good first century Jew understood based on what uh, Moses writes in Deuteronomy chapter 21 that any person hung on a tree has been cursed by God. Anyone that's been hung on a tree has been cursed by God. Paul picks that theme up in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. And I think it's somewhere in the back of Peter's, this is speculation, not in the text. I think it's somewhere in the back of Peter's mind as he writes these words that Jesus became a curse for us that we might receive blessing from God. Has God opened your eyes to see that when you wanted nothing to do with him, he wanted everything to do with you and he was willing to be beaten so that you could be blessed? Has he opened your eyes to see that? I'm jealous that he would for some of us. I, I want to see this tank filled. I want to pray that God, over and over and over again, I want to pray that God would do that. That he would cause people to be born again as he opens their eyes to see one who had compassion, one who adopted them as a father, and one who was cursed so they may be blessed. That they might fall on their faces in worship and honor and adoration of Jesus, living as a trailer for the main attraction that's going to come one day as they return blessing for reviling here and now with a deep concern and compassion and a familial love. Has God opened your eyes to see that? Have you been born again? Do you have a hope that extends beyond this life? If you do not, you will never, you will never be able to return blessing for reviling. Let's pray together. Father, we come today. God, I, I recognize that I'm so insufficient and my words... <laughs> My words are so weak, but your word is so powerful and strong. God, I pray that you would take what you have inspired and preserved for, from generation to generation, and that for some of us in the room this morning, you would make it live in our lives. That there would be some in here this morning or with an earshot of my voice, who would come to the realization that whenever they wanted nothing to do with you, you wanted everything to do with them, that you were compassionate and loving, that you adopted as a good father and brought them in. God, help us to see that. Help us to see whether or not that's taken place in our lives. Because apart from it, we have no hope of blessing those who curse us. Apart from that, we have no hope of genuinely caring for people in a way that's, that, that, that's beyond skin deep. We have no hope of engaging people as family and reconciling relationships, even when there's great tension of loving people and being vulnerable and exposing ourselves to hurt and pain. We have no way of doing that unless we have a hope in something that's beyond this world because of a, the new birth. Would you make it so, Father, and give us eyes to see whether or not it has happened. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.